So here I go again, recording an intro for my own podcast, but why not? Let's do that. It's episode 231, and I forgot to actually say what episode this is in this coming, in this upcoming episode. So yeah, my name is Eddie Cohn. Here comes my cat Leo, of course, into the studio as I record this intro. So I just finished editing this podcast, today's podcast, and I'm going to be talking about I think in a pretty thoughtful, respectful way about why I didn't like everything everywhere all at once. Leo didn't like the movie either. (sighs) I know it was pretty bad, Leo, wasn't it? And it's, it's funny. Today's Saturday. It's the day before the Oscars. And I used to really like the Academy Awards. There was, I used to love the movies. I guess I still like the movies, except I long for and miss great, thoughtful movies. And I recorded a podcast a few weeks ago thinking, you know, and talking about where did all the good movies go? And I think it's borderline blasphemous when I see movies like Top Gun and Avatar uh, and even Tar and Elvis all receiving Best Picture nominations. Because in a year when really thoughtful, well-made movies uh, came out, those movies wouldn't be nominated. I mean, maybe Top Gun just for its nostalgia factor. Um, But I think there's a huge gaping hole in in the world of movie making. And I want, and and it's funny, let me just come out out right now and say, because I am going to thoughtfully explain to you why I don't like everything everywhere all at once. But the movie lacks heart. It's it's hitting everybody over the head with effects and fast-paced editing. Um, but it lacks heart. And that's what good movies need. It needs um, a sense of compassion where you feel a connection. And I just finished watching Seven. And it's not only incredibly dark and brutal, but it works because you feel a connection, a heartful, a heartfelt connection towards Morgan Freeman, um, Brad Pitt, and oh my gosh, Gwyneth Paltrow. You feel it in that movie, and you actually feel some of the angst that Kevin Spacey talks about. Whereas in Everything Everywhere All at Once, I don't feel anything. I'm just dizzy and kind of feel nauseous, and I want to turn it off. And a friend of mine asked me about the movie Elvis by Baz Luhrmann, also nominated this year for Best Picture. I couldn't take more than 15 minutes of it. And I know one could argue and say, oh, Eddie, you're being misanthropic, or you're just curmudgeon, you're old. Um, I don't think that's the case. I have a lot of friends that are young. We all talk about movies and television shows that we really like. I think my taste is still youthful. I think my energy is youthful. I'm all for um, youthful shows youthful energy. I think something, though, is missing in movies. And I think it's it's the craft of storytelling. And I think it's um, having a movie that, that actually has a way of drawing you in, not through effects, not through split screens, but through heartfelt storytelling. So that's one point I wanted to make. The other point I wanted to make very briefly before this episode is this idea of criticism. I think criticism is so valuable 
but it's been watered down because anybody and their mother or father can go on to Twitter and just write a comment about, you know, this or that that they don't like, that they don't think is any good. It has watered down thoughtful criticism. I remember Rolling Stone when I used to read it. I think it was Peter Travers or Kenneth Turan on the, uh, for Newsweek. I used to look forward each week to read what they had to say about the movies every week because I thought they were so thoughtful and it wasn't about politics or it wasn't about being polite. It was either good or it was bad. It's it's interesting. This Chris Rock stand-up special just came out last week. And, you know, it's frustrating because you have left-wing media writers and pundits who are offended because they think Chris Rock is sort of being... Uh, curmudgeon, and he sounds angry. And then you have the right-wingers like the Ben Shapiros and the Megyn Kellys who are all for the Chris Rock special because he's being anti-woke. And I don't think either is true. I think Chris Rock is an artist, and he's just expressing his point of view. And I think he's really funny. And yeah, he yells a lot, but that's sort of a shtick. And I thought it was great. It's like Critics, the, the, the thoughtful critics that aren't connected to a major media news conglomerate uh, that, that sort of have these political connotations attached to them, where did they go? It, it's like we need objective criticism that, that can value work and say, is this well-made? And, and, if, and if you're offended by something, that doesn't mean that something is bad. I mean, maybe if it's offensive, that's that's a good thing. It, I think it takes a very objective person to be able to objectively criticize something and really understand the work that is involved in making a movie or making a stand-up special. But I think something can be felt across all types of people, and that's heart. And I think people can get caught up in, you know, the loudness of Chris Rock. But I felt a lot of heart in that stand-up special. I felt a lot of vulnerability, especially when he's talking about Will Smith at the end. Dave Chappelle, I feel a lot of heart when he's on stage. And yeah, he's frustrated, but it feels to me like he put a lot of work into his stand-up. And... Back to my point about everything, everywhere, all at once. Certainly they put a lot of work into this movie, but I don't feel any heart. I feel nothing. I feel this sort of mechanical machine hitting me over the head. And and that is what's lacking in storytelling these days. So here's my attempt to thoughtfully explain to you why I did not like everything, everywhere, all at once on today's episode. I'm going to dive a little deeper into criticism on my next episode as well. Um, But enjoy the show. You know where to find me on social, at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. But for now, enjoy today's episode. Hope you're doing well. My name, of course, is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the show. 
I've thought about breaking these up into a couple episodes, but uh, hopefully I can maneuver the ship and I can arrive home and, and be, and this will all make sense as I try and put the pieces together of what's happening inside my mind. But hope you're doing well. We are in the midst, and this sort of will begin the journey. We are in the midst of a rain storm in LA that has truly been mesmerizing. I don't think I recall ever feeling this way about the weather in Los Angeles. I mean, you know, we've had our moments of El Nino over the years, but I think the last couple weeks has been like, has been unlike anything I've seen out here. Just the amount of rain, the cold weather, you know, 45, 50 degrees as a a high here in LA is certainly not like 15, 20 degrees in Minnesota, but for LA, 45 degrees is pretty cold, pretty bitter cold. We've had sleet. Uh, We've had over 50 inches of snow up in Big Bear. I certainly want to try and get up there and ski. I hear it's absolutely beautiful up there. I just, I can't imagine 50 60 inches of snow in just like a few days, but that's what's been going on out here. And I started to think about when was the last time you were mesmerized by sounds? We have a skylight in our in our place here and and, and just hearing the pounding rain hitting the skylight over the last couple weeks and looking out the window and hearing the rain fall and listening to the sleet. I was I was sort of just transfixed and in awe of what has been going on. And so I guess my first point here today, my first question will be, when was the last time you were mesmerized by sound? And I think those moments are becoming a little more challenging, and it's because of the very astute attention detail on the visuals in this world that we live in nowadays. Everything is so visually intoxicating, trying to get your attention in a very quick amount of time. And I want to sort of flashback a little bit. I think sound is interesting because how does sound get your attention? I feel like we're hearing rain in the background, so that'll hopefully add to the, um, the immersion of this episode. So I just, I want you to think about when did sound last mesmerize you or take your breath away? And I I think we reached a, a level in music making maybe 15 years ago where suddenly there was this interest in making music louder. And I don't want to bore you too much, but there's something called mastering a record and it sort of it takes the overall mix of your song or your album and it's sort of this last little icing on the cake this last cherry on top where it elevates the noise a little bit more um, kind of compresses it a bit and makes everything sort of fit nicely and, and it's it's smoother it sounds uh, a little bit milkier but also louder it sort of brings out the highs makes the lows feel a little bit more um, in your in your heartbeat. You feel it in your chest. And mastering sort of took a turn, I think, for the worse. Around, I think it was maybe early 2000s, Metallica put out a record where it was mastered so loud that it was actually distorting 
on the radio. And again, not a lot of people are sensitive to, to sound like I may be or other musicians may be out there. But we were sort of turning the corner. It, it became not about the songs. It became not about the heart of the music. But it became culturally about making things louder. It's, it's like, what did it take to get people's attention um, through sound? And it, it wasn't about, you know, melody and nuance and, and, and interesting sounds. It, it became, oh, let's just make this louder. Let's pummel people over their heads with a louder sound. And the interesting thing about music and I need to be consciously aware of this as I'm making a record. If you turn something up, it's going to sound better. It, it's, it's, I can't even scientifically explain it to you, but when things are louder, at least musically, if they're done well, it will sound better. And so we sort of had this shift in our culture over the last 15 years where the mastering of a song, it became almost, it feels like, more important to make it louder, and it wasn't really about the overall sound and making it sound better, let's just make it louder, and that's going to sort of trick people into thinking that it sounds good. And, and look, we've seen it in movies. You know, you go to the movies now, and there's surround sound, THX, Dolby Stereo. They want people to shake, they being the filmmakers, they want people to shake in their seats, because again, all these sounds give people, if it's louder, it will give people the illusion that they're actually having a good experience. But again, I don't want to say that I'm more aware of what's going on. I think I'm just realizing that subtlety and nuance and not being bombarded over the head with effects and, and special effects and edits and, and loud sounds, that doesn't um, transfix me. That doesn't make me more curious. That doesn't impress me. You know, when I go to a concert, I don't want it to be overwhelmingly loud where I, I get a headache and I can't even think straight. I mean, there has to be subtlety and nuance and dynamics, and you need to sort of feel the heart of the music. I was thinking about this point as I now transition to talking about movies. Before I make my point actually about movies, let me just give you some examples about art that I really like and think has a lot of heart. So I just, well, stick with music. I just saw Jack White on Saturday, Saturday Night Live. He just did this amazing performance a couple days ago. I don't, I don't love Jack White's records, but every time I watch him perform live, I am awestruck because not only is it loud, but it's filled with so much emotion that I get goosebumps. I'm just sort of watching him sing and play, and it's just mesmerizing because it's sort of this perfect balance of not only is it loud, but he is filled with so much raw energy. You feel it just sort of bubbling off of his skin. It's like bubbling off of his hands as he's 
banging his guitar. So that is an example of music that to me has a lot of heart. And then just, I'm trying to think of, I'm going to talk about movies in a moment, but Schitt's Creek is a television show. That is an example of a show that has so much heart and depth. And yeah, on the surface, it's sort of the slapstick comedy. But there is so much brilliance in the way Eugene and Daniel Levy create that show, write that show. And the reason why it works is because you feel the heart of the characters. The acting is fantastic, but it's brilliantly written. And I don't know how they do it. They they have this amazing connection to their craft, making you feel a connection to the characters. But that is an example of a show that is filled with heart. So let's let's sort of turn the page now and talk about this new movie that has been getting a lot of accolades. And of course, I've wanted to go see it, or I've, I've wanted to see it for quite some time, but just haven't had the time. But I finally started watching it. And of course, I'm talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. And every year it feels like there's a movie that's that's flowered and showered with, with accolade upon accolade. And I just listened to the Mark Maron podcast where he's speaking to the filmmakers, the two Daniels. And I have to say, I, I was spellbound by the show. I, I found them to be incredibly smart creative, vulnerable, honest. They were talking about their craft as, as filmmakers and how they got into it and how they met each other. And, and I thought it was a really great talk. And, and what's one of my annoying pet peeves about Mark Maron is he'll literally interrupt his guests all the time. He just had Michelle Yo or Yao on his podcast a few days ago, and she's the main star of Everything Everywhere All at Once. I could not get past maybe 15 minutes because every time she's talking, he's just he's just saying, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's interrupting her every second, and I had to turn it off. But he has the two Daniels on, and it's almost because he has two people on his show that he finally has to shut up for a moment and let his guests speak. So I'm listening to this podcast, and it's it's really inspiring. It's It's... Uh, you feel a lot of compassion, a lot of sympathy towards the two Daniels. That's what they're called. Um, and it, it only piqued my interest even more wanting to see everything everywhere all at once. So I finally get it on, start watching it. And let me preface this by saying I'm not a huge fantasy fan, but when it's done well, I think great movies can cross over and get me interested in them. Like Pan's Labyrinth, I forget. I think it's by Guillermo del Toro, I think. Some of you may go on Twitter and, and tell me I'm, I'm inaccurate, but I think he's the filmmaker. Anyway, Pan's Labyrinth, brilliant. Shape of Water, brilliant. Lord of the Rings, not a huge fan of the books, but I think those movies are really well done. Now, what's interesting about these movies the effects, of course, are fantastic, but they also have heart. They're written in a way that you feel a connection to the characters. So to remind you of my original point, music. If the music isn't as good as it used to be, one way that I believe producers, mastering engineers, record labels, they will make it louder to sort of try and make you feel 
sort of in this manipulative way that maybe you like the music. But maybe it's not very good, because, but except they're making it really loud. So in movies, what are they doing to get people interested in movies? If, if the story isn't good, if the characters aren't compassionate, if you can't connect with them, what are they doing? Well, they're making it surround sound. They're making the movies louder. And they're also making movies that look like a music video or a TikTok video. They are slamming you over the head with effect after effect that your, your brain is like firing up on all cylinders. Your, your brain is getting lambasted with, with like these, these tweaks and these effects and these, these quick edits that you're sort of mesmerized and you're, you think maybe you're enjoying what you're seeing, but after about 10, 15, 20 minutes, if you're not connecting with the humanity of the movie, um, I would suppose you're sort of thinking to yourself, boy, I'm not really connecting with this at all. Like at some point, you can be wowed by effects or loud sound, but at some point, I would think you would start to get bored or disinterested if you're not connecting with any of the characters. And so sure enough, that's exactly how I felt as I'm watching everything, everywhere, all at once. I think that's what it's called. Uh, It's a strange title. You know, it's, it's obviously well shot. Clearly, the two Daniels are brilliant, quote unquote, filmmakers. But I am not feeling any emotional connection with anybody. And I'm not titillated by just seeing these quick effects. And, and, and I'm not interested in entering the multi-universe or multiverse or maybe I would be if, if I was feeling a connection to the characters. But I felt nothing. I was void of emotion. I say to myself, how, does this, how do these movies every year get showered with amazing reviews every year? Like, what are people watching? Are they being tricked by all the effects? Are they just sort of wowed because they're their brain is, is just being torpedoed with, with these wild effects and edits that you're sort of being bamboos, bamboozled into thinking that, oh, what you're watching is really good. But if you strip all that away, what are you really left with? to read you this review, and I don't want you to feel like I scoured the internet for an hour. I literally just typed in, I think everything everywhere all at once is bad. And I wanted to see if anybody else out there thought the movie was bad. And thank goodness for my podcast, within like 10 seconds, I found a review. So let me read this to you. It's by Jordan Ruimi. And it's called Everything Everywhere All at Once is Being Overpraised to the High Heavens. It'll probably top our mid-year critics poll. It's blowing minds nationwide, but it didn't do anything for me. It just felt messy. Maybe that was the point. I can't say I love the film, but it was well-directed, well-acted, with a special shout-out to the film's top-notch tech departments. So am I missing something here? 
Clearly it didn't clearly it didn't do a damn thing for me. Yes, the cast is great. The photography nicely chosen, Chinese culture effortlessly represented, but it felt as though the Daniels were just throwing every idea at the screen and the result felt rather shallow, especially at a whopping 140 minutes. Now I'm not going to imply that the praise stems from this being a minority story with a dash of social commentary added in for good measure, because there are way too many people creaming their pants over this film, and it can't just be a virtue-signaling thing. It's very well made. I'll give it that. And its success is somewhat groundbreaking for Asians in Hollywood, so I'll let it slide. The fighting choreography is visually inventive, and it's just a very ambitious venture for these indie filmmakers. Then at some point, multiverses pack onto other multiverses, hot dog fingers show up, not to mention a black hole bagel becoming central to the story, and it inevitably becomes pointlessly complicated. It's also very densely packed and gimmicky. The confetti puke was a nice touch, I'll admit that. However, this is the most millennial movie I have ever seen, as a certain philosophy ruminates throughout the film. Cue in the nihilism, the movie basically says the world is a place that's chaotic and void of meaning, so any kind of social development or progress is just an illusion, unless, of course, you learn to love. It might be just the most Reddit-approved movie ever made, and its very nihilism, despite the trite messaging, renders it almost meaningless. In the end, what do we finally get from this film? An overabundance of slapstick a fetish for over-the-top fighting, multiverses stamped upon more multiverses, and a soapy message about family and love. It doesn't help that the film goes from one scene to the next without any consequential dramatic stakes to hold onto. This is an ice-cold film delivered in a relentless ADD-infused assault on the senses. Ironically, Quan, one of the filmmakers, has admitted he wrote the film as an attempt to recognize and understand his undiagnosed ADHD. But why would we suffer in the process? There's nothing cinematic about what the Daniels have done here. Rather, it feels like a 140-minute music video devoid of the exact thing it tries to preach for. Human feeling. I couldn't agree more could not agree more. And again, you can throw one effect at me after another. You can turn the volume up. You can surround me. You can envelop me in sound, amazing effects. But if there's not an ounce of humanity or feeling or an emotional connection going on, I'm just not interested. The reason why Pan's Labyrinth worked Shape of Water worked. I'm only bringing those movies up because they're, you know, similarly in the world of fantasy. They work because there's an emotional human component underneath it all, underneath the effects. And I even think the filmmakers or the, the, the heads at the studios, they are so wrapped up in technology and TikTok and trying to get people's attention that they're not interested in, in the craft of the story but they're more interested in, in filmmakers that know how to edit or, or 
make these these films that move so quickly and swiftly that they're just bombarding people over the head with effect after effect, but they're not really interested in a story. But does that story matter anymore? Does a well-thought-out story matter in film? I guess my last point before I let you go, I want you to check out a show on Disney Plus called Limitless. Now, Darren Aronofsky, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. He's one of the creators of the show. It's beautifully shot. The visuals in Australia and the Arctics are just jaw-dropping. But behind the visuals, and they even have sort of these segments where they get into the science of health, and, and it's, it's, it's sort of like these animations brought to life. They're visually stimulating and interesting. But the reason why the show works is because Chris is so good. You connect with his vulnerability, his fear of dying, wanting to soak up every ounce of life that he has left. We connect with that, and he is really good at sharing that vulnerability of of explaining, describing the emotions that he feels when he's fearful. I mean, here's this man, he's very strong, he's tall, he's cut, but despite all of that, he gets anxious, he gets scared, he gets worried, and we can all connect with that. And that's why that show works. I mean, it looks great, but if Chris wasn't a compelling uh, character, quote unquote, I know he's playing himself, but if he wasn't compelling, if you couldn't connect with him, the show wouldn't work. And it's, it's paramount for filmmakers and writers and creators to not rely on just turning the volume up just impacting you with effects and quick editing tools. We have to create from the heart. And and I don't know if that can be taught. I think great teachers in college are out there reminding students to turn off their phones, to turn off the noise, to try and tap into those feelings, those intrinsic components of your body to write a story, a compelling story. Um, So I I have to have faith that those people are out there. But look, you know, maybe I'm aging myself here, but I'm just not interested in the Marvel movies of of getting hit over the head with effects in 3D. 3D is another example where a few years ago, every movie was 3D. You know, we have these VR headsets, we have 3D, we have surround sound. All these technological advancements are trying to wow you, but we still need content. We still need shows that have emotion and have heart. And here comes the rain. I think you can probably hear it in the background. So I'll leave you with that. Hopefully that all connected. Hopefully the dots all met. Hopefully I was able to connect the dots. But it all started with hearing the rain and watching the sleet. And and then I started to think, wow, like there's a way to be transfixed by a story or from beauty without being pummeled, (laughs) without, um, with, with nuance, with depth, with heart. So I, I think I was reminded of that when I was listening to the rain every night over the last 10 days and then watching a movie that just felt so flat to me. And again, I'm, I'm not turning my nose up at the culture. I think my last point, I'll make one more point. It's important to be critical. I think we've also sort of entered this world where 
people no longer can be critical of art anymore. And I think being critical in a respectful way makes creators better. You know where to find me on all socials at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. I'm getting a lot of viewers, quote unquote, or listeners in Europe. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how you found out about the show. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Um, would love to know if this, these, these ideas, these thoughts you're connecting with about our culture. Uh, any questions, message me, and I'll be back soon. As always, thanks so much for listening, supporting, being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. <laughs>